Welcome to Inside the New South Wales Police Force. I'm your host, Adam Shank. This episode, we'll talk organised crime with one of the state's most experienced investigators. And we go beyond the parade ground at the New South Wales Police Academy and into the classrooms. This podcast is sponsored by Police Bank. Since 1964, Police Bank has stood for the financial well-being of police, their families, friends and communities. As its member-owned, it's able to offer more competitive rates for banking with them. Whatever's next on your horizon, Police Bank can help you get there sooner. Let's meet the squad that's putting the bite on the assets of organised crime. It's one thing to lock up a crook, but seizing their loot stops a return to the business when they get out of jail. Armed with new legislation, Operation Fobita is gathering intel on the drugs, guns and money of the Mr Bigs of New South Wales like never before. Detective Superintendent Stuart Cadden is the commander of the operation. Good morning, Adam. How are you? Very well. So how is Fobita going? Uh, going very well. Uh, unfortunately, there's, there's more work than we can probably get to, which is uh, not a bad thing for police, I guess, but um, it makes my fellows, uh, my, my team very busy. Let's get the name out of the way first. You guys and, and, and police seem to have very creative ways of naming this. One is particularly apt, I think. Phobita comes from Greek mythology. What is it? Uh, it it's the, the Greek god of, of nightmares, um, the, the one who comes in the night to scare people. Yeah, and is that what you're doing? I hope so. We're certainly uh, making them look over their shoulder. That's the intention. Yeah, because like, like I said in the intro, crooks go to jail, but professional crooks look at jail as part of the trade. They do their time. But when you really hit them, it's when you get their, their, their hidden money. And we've seen these crooks. I think it's been an eye-opener for your squad, seeing how much wealth has been amassed in such a short time in some cases. What role do you think taking their money plays in really addressing the organised crime threat generally? I would say it's the most powerful deterrent we have to organised crime. Um, as you said, going to prison is part of the cost of doing business to them. They understand there is a risk and they accept that risk. They do their time and come back out and, and attempt to re-establish themselves in that organised crime space. However, we take their money, we take their assets. Uh, it, it has a very large effect on them because that's where they place all of their returns. It's very difficult to, to re-establish yourself when you've got nothing. The public has been hearing about asset seizures now for about a generation. Uh, in different states, jurisdictions. There's sometimes been a feeling that the crooks have high-paid lawyers, they can get ahead of this, and they can somehow quarantine their assets. Something's changed, though. We've seen the previous outgoing government strengthen the laws around this at a national level. Are you seeing that the arsenal, the, the toolbox that you've got in Fobita, makes you a more potent threat? Uh, not only Fobita, but the entire um, New South Wales Police Force in general, with the, the recent introduction of the unexplained wealth legislation um, earlier this year in February, it's allowed us now to really concentrate on those individuals who have gathered wealth well beyond their means. We have squads dedicated to looking at this uh, situation and targeting these individuals like, like never before. And what, what, what kinds of successes are you having? Well, since November 2021, we've initiated uh, 63 investigations and as a result of those investigations over 40 people have been arrested and charged with with a number of serious offenses we have been involved in the seizure of over four tons of prohibited drugs those drugs value over 
$326 million uh, on the street value. We have been involved in the seizure of $24.9 million in cash uh, and, and have seized 21 firearms along the way. But how do you value the intel that you've, you've gathered in that process? It's very hard to put value on intel, I guess, um, in, in a monetary way. In a law enforcement way, um, intel is incredibly valuable and, and a good investigator will read an intelligence report and, and straight away know its value. Uh, it will give opportunities. It will give a link. It'll give a, an in for that investigator to go and pursue a target he may have been look, searching for. Uh, it, it's often referred to as a, like a, a piece of a jigsaw puzzle and, and one more piece makes the puzzle clearer and, and lets us go in there and, and, and complete the job. So look, Intel is, is vital. It's our lifeblood um, in organized crime. If we didn't have Intel, if we didn't have um, our, our agencies gathering it for us, if we didn't have the public's interaction and input, if we didn't have that, the constable on the street who stops the, the, the drug user who may provide that gem of, of intelligence, which starts an entire investigation. Without those things, we wouldn't have the ability to do what we do. With the new legislation, it's obviously very, very early. There is a lot of planning for what will be done uh, and a lot of assessment being done of, of people uh, as we go along. But only having this power for the last couple of months, we're not seeing results yet. But I, I am very confident that in the short to mid term, we will see some stunning results in, in that world. And uh, a lot of people will, will realise that we are there and we are in that space and we are actively going after their ill-gotten gains. Could you summarise, I guess, in a general way, what the difference is with this legislation and what it, what it uh, delivers to law enforcement? It allows us to have a, a greater power in looking over their uh, assets and their money and, and, and where it actually came from. Whereas previous legislation we operated under uh, required us to have a pred predicate offence uh, to initiate confiscation proceedings. This this new legislation gives us far more powers and, and abilities to, to chase people solely on the basis of their overt wealth. So you basically, in layman's terms, you can go to a crook and say, show us the receipts for your lifestyle. Show us how you're living this, this lifestyle. Otherwise, we, we may hoover up your assets. You, you, you're close to the mark, yes. How do the crooks react to this? They must say, this is not fair. Come on, this isn't how you played the game before. I'm sure they won't be happy with it. Um, and, that, and, and that's, uh, that's the, uh, bad luck to them. I mean, that's the, uh, the powers we have been given as a response uh, by the government to, to an issue. And we intend to use those powers uh, to, our, to their full effect. How long have you been working in this uh, area, Stuart Cadden? I've been in the organised crime space since, since uh, 2000. It's a long time. What, what change have you seen in the way that New South Wales Police approaches these sort of questions and the toolbox you've got now that you probably didn't have back then, I'd, I'd guess? Well, the number one is technology. Um, it, it's changed incredibly. I, I know when I first started um, at the Asian Crime Squad back in 2000, uh, I think we all had mobile phones, but they were very uh, clunky little devices that you could make a call, place a text and, and maybe play Snake on. To fast forward to 2023, where technology defines everything we do and, and at the same time um, is, is, is the, the world of the criminal as well. So that's the number one change. Uh, number two is obviously the, the amount of resources and intent that the New South Wales Police Force puts towards uh, organised crime investigations. We are a major player in that space. It, it's the Commissioner's intent that we target uh, and disrupt organised crime as one of her main priorities. Uh, 
it is basically a um, it's a complete cornerstone of, of, of New South Wales policing. Yeah, because over the last 20 years that you've been doing this, we've seen international crime globalised. We've seen drug cartels reaching out into every market in the, in the world, finding local crooks to work with and establishing very lucrative supply lines. As you say, your role is to disrupt and dismantle those supply lines and seize the assets according. Over that period, I think there's been a realisation there are vast sums of money involved here, sums that we never really understood before. But the intel that the police, Bobita and other squads and other uh, operations is really bringing that home, how big this is, and I, and I guess also bringing it to the public's attention, how much of this is actually going on. Correct. Uh, people always say the world's become a smaller place with technology. You can now... Uh, reach out to someone across the other side of the world in real time and share instant messaging and the like. That's the same in the, in the criminal space. The collaboration between the, the criminals, the different organised crime networks, the different racial-based networks has gone full full steam ahead and, and we're seeing that. Uh, but at the same time, it's allowed uh, the police and other partner agencies to collaborate as well. Fobiter is a, a classic example where you have uh, New South Wales Police, AFP, um, working together in the same office, with the same team, uh, with a joint leadership structure, uh, working with other Commonwealth law enforcement partners seamlessly. We're just working along, um, targeting these groups and, and using that technology and, and that access to, I guess, the, the, the closeness of the world to target them and, and go after them and, and take their assets. This, this is obviously a follow-on, and I think this builds on the success of Operation Ironside which I think it's like a, a movie script where the police created a, a messaging platform called a NOM and then got crooks to actually then circulate it amongst their, their fellows. And suddenly you had a once in a generation look into the, the criminal networks and what they were up to. How much did that take everyone forward? Look, I think a NOM, um, and I, I had some involvement obviously with the New South Wales police side of in, in the prosecution of a number of offenders. Uh, it certainly showed what we we I guess what we thought was out there we we knew that the the, the use of encrypted communications was rife and it was a, a challenge to us but anom opened our eyes to exactly what they were actually communicating about um, we all had suspicions but when you could get to see that and actually look and, and realize the how much badness to use that term was going on in open communication in the background because I think some people are still waiting to see the full results of Ironside. How successful would you say, given the cases that you've seen so far, uh, how successful would you say it's been? Gauging success on, on the calibre of the people who were arrested during that the operation, I would say very successful. There were some significant offenders that we were targeting and we were given opportunities by from the AFP to, to really make a difference on those people. In the scheme of a number of different OMCGs or outline motorcycle gangs, Anom was a game changer in, in reducing their capability and in some case even reducing or eradicating them out of certain states in Australia. Bikey gangs in particular are very vulnerable to these sort of psychological operations. They have a saying in the bikey world that where there's any doubt, there's no doubt. I wonder, this is a historic moment where trust has been destroyed amongst crooks. Is that a fair thing to say? Yeah, absolutely. We can benefit from that. Um, if they lose trust in themselves, they can't. They can't confide in each other. 
they can't uh, guarantee that the person they're dealing with isn't going to sell them out down the track for a, a reduced sentence or a reward or some description. Uh, it makes them think twice about what they do and it, it makes their environment a little bit more hostile to operate in. So Fobita inherits that environment. When you look at how it was set up, I think, I think it's 20 offices. Could you give us an insight into, into what the squad is and how it seeks to, to build on the success of Ironside? Sure. So the squad is, um, is, is a joint New South Wales Police, Australian Federal Police staff. The current commander uh, is myself from New South Wales Police. That, that is a rotating role. And in uh, November this year, the command of the, of the unit will go across to Australian Federal Police. I, under me, I have a, an AFP inspector. We have two sergeants, one from each organisation. And then under that, we have a number of investigators and intelligence analysts from both organisations. We work together in the same office. We work jointly on operations. Every every operation we do has a, a joint uh, New South Wales and AFP case officer. Uh, and that allows us to bring different skills to the table. Both both police forces have very different skills. Uh, at the same time, very very similar skills. It also allows us to take advantage of the technological and, and specialist capabilities of, of both police forces. And it's also a jurisdictional capability, isn't it? That that you know, together you can you can cover all bases, whereas separately it's not so easy. Correct. It, it allows us to work um, in the Commonwealth um, sphere quite easily. Um, the AFP obviously are the experts in that area, and they uh, make it very easy for us to to operate, and particularly utilising the the worldwide resources the AFP have with their with their international posts that, that's a great advantage to us and and in the same time on in uh, state-based offenses offending uh, New South Wales police obviously are the experts on that side and, and we have the the connections and the abilities through our our police force right across New South Wales to deal with anything that comes up in that area because the traveling crook has always had an advantage over police police tends to be tend to be police districts police states so the traveling crook always had a somewhat of an advantage now We've seen the, the world become globalised, crooks become even more mobile, so police have to be just as mobile and, and as nimble. And I think Fobida is a, is a representation of that. Absolutely. Um, we have operated um, in the past in five different countries, and that's where the, the expertise um, of the AFP in that international space assists us. It's allowed us as a state organisation to, to lever off that and to... Um, go into areas which which we would normal which we would go to but we would always require some assistance but it's allowed us to uh, seamlessly work in other areas other states other other countries um, and similarly it's allowed um, us to use the extra resources in, inside new south wales so what can we expect in the future from the joint task force well hopefully more of the same we have a a, a good operational pace we're, we're increasing our operations we're constantly reviewing our operations uh we, we ensure that uh, they are being conducted in line with the Commissioner's priorities in, in targeting organised crime. Uh, we look at uh, both international offending uh, in, the, in the money laundering and drug importation space, as well as domestic drug supply, uh, we'll do cultivation, uh, money laundering, uh, firearms supply, uh, really you name it. If it's organised crime, we're going to look, look at it very closely. Um, if we can find an in and we can find a group that we can target effectively, we will uh, do so. Yeah, you, you're trying to find an in because that's right. This is all about data and intelligence, isn't it? You, you aren't necessarily there to be kicking indoors and and enforcing like that. It's really about the the, the intelligence side of things where it's critical. Probably the most um, different aspect of Fobita is that we are not a 
a unit who goes out and kicks doors down and arrests people. We are uh, working in the target development space. We we receive intelligence from a number of different areas. We generate our own intelligence at times. Uh, we then assess that product as to how we can value add to it. What can we do to make it better, make make the product more, get, gather some evidence to show the, which way it is going. And then, then we look for a client agency. Now that may be a, a federal agency if it's a Commonwealth matter, and it will be a state agency if it's a state-based matter. Uh, we work with them and make a referral out to them and they continue the investigation. Uh, we stay connected to those investigations through, through, uh, for a number of reasons um, and, and, and assist them as they go along. But for, for the, I recently interviewed some police to come and join us in a couple of vacancies and that was one of the hardest things to sort of portray that you won't be arresting people, you won't be going to court and that's something for police to, to get their head around because that's obviously our bread and butter business. I think not going to court might be a bonus for many police, but at the same time, it's a historic moment because, as we said before, Ironsight has opened up the information. You know what's going on. I think one of the things we've seen in recent years is this perception that international cartels and, and other mafia and things are finding local partners, be they OMCGs or other ethnic groups and so on and so forth, to do their distribution or other, other business at the local level. We now have a much better idea of who's who in the zoo. Is that fair to say? Absolutely. Uh, they say uh, money doesn't discriminate, but they don't care who they're dealing with. As long as there's money to be made, they'll do it together. Uh, yeah, we have a very good picture um, of, of the, the main players um, and our uh, partners, intelligence-based partners, uh, give us a great service in that area by lifting the lid and, and, and showing us who who is talking to who and who, which groups are getting together. Uh, and likewise, our internal state Intel resources are doing a very good job of the same thing. So uh, one thing we, we aren't short of is, is good intelligence product to allow us to target and do our job. Yeah. Now, Detective Superintendent Stuart Cadden, you're a very unflappable policeman, <clears throat> very experienced. You've seen a lot. But in these operations, are you seeing things that raise your eyebrows that take you to a new level of understanding? I guess the answer is yes. So when, when you see, and, and I, I can go back to what, what police would call a war story. Uh, many years ago, when I first started in this area, if, if we was to seize, uh, were to seize one kilogram of drug, it was cause for celebration. There was, you, know, you, you, were, you were the flavour of the month. You were the walk around the office like you were the king. Now we're seeing imports of, of a tonne, two tonne, hundreds and hundreds of kilograms. Police at local area commands who would traditionally never have had an opportunity to do that kind of work uh, getting referrals from AFP for imports of, of 5, 10 and, and 20 kilograms sometimes. There's the sheer volume of the drug does make you stop and, 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 and just scratch your head and say, what is going on? And and, and when you consider the, the, the money, the monetary value of that drug, it, it's astonishing. It's a staggering amount of money. And we're seeing disorder, chaos, violence on our streets as a result of business deals gone wrong, rivalries, because these people are fighting over lucrative import trades often. So there is a connection between this, I guess, somewhat dry academic style work you're doing and law and order on our streets and our kids being not exposed to these, these uh, heinous uh, drugs and things. Yeah, for sure. There's, there's a definite connection between the drug world and, and violence that we see. And we work very closely with those squads involved in, in the suppression of that violence and, and the investigation after the fact uh, and, and to make sure we provide them with resources and services to, to do their job. 
uh, based on what we know, and we can pivot towards that sort of investigation as needed if, if, if it's something that uh, becomes a priority for us. This is an arms race. The crooks uh, want to get ahead of you. You've got to stay ahead of them. This is, this is not a stationary target. It's a, it is an arms race. That's, I've never heard it called that, but it's, a, it's a, probably a quite a good analogy to, to put to it. Yeah, you've got to have a better gun, which you've had just recently. So, yeah, so Fobita is an example of using the lessons of the past because I think sometimes in the past, police forces have been so busy just dealing with the, with the business of the day that this intelligence gathering side of things, the institutional memory side of things can sometimes take a, a back seat. But Fobita seems to be an attempt to consolidate and perpetuate that approach. Yeah, what happens in um, in the intelligence spaces is, is that police forces generate massive amounts of intelligence. Um, every every interaction that the uniform constable has with the local hoodlum on the street is a form of intelligence. Uh, and right through from that level up to our international partners and our, our other Commonwealth partners providing us with high-level in, intelligence about organisations and, and, and their intentions and, and importations of drugs and the like, that needs to be... I guess, analysed, collated, and, and in our case now, actualised into an investigation. A lot of times, um, squads who are very busy with their day-to-day work are, are given intelligence, uh, quality intelligence, but can't actually instigate investigations on everything they see because there's so much going on. We have the luxury of, of not being uh, tied to that response-style work where we can look at in- information that comes along. We can look for the gem that we can polish up and then refer out to a client, be it state or federal, with an investigation already underway. So we do a little bit of the work for them in the front end, and we basically say, there you go, do what you can for this, and we are seeing some some stunning results um, from that. Police being police take those opportunities and they develop them and they start looking into the web of the syndicates involved. And, and so the people that we're identifying and aren't the only ones being arrested there. We see the entire network falling down around them. Yeah. Organised crime, taking, going after drugs and all this kind of stuff is a bit like Hercules cleaning out the Aegean stables. It's a big job. You may never get to the bottom of it. How do you create and maintain a practical goal set so your team can work year in, year out and feel engaged and, and, and worthwhile? Obviously, there are targets, um, individuals that are of significance and, and they become a priority. They're, they're an organisational priority for, for law enforcement. Our primary goal is to disrupt and disable those people and their, and their networks. But flowing on from that, uh, we discussed earlier about assets and, and money. If we can disrupt and disable the money around the, uh, these people, again, we, have, we, have, we make the best impact. And, and I guess the third part of that would be that if you to use the analogy of the old squeaky wheel, it's those individuals who who, who push themselves to prominence and and whose whose offending is getting either publicity or it's re, or we're seeing through our intelligence becoming quite prominent. Uh, they're the ones we'll also start actively targeting to slow them down and stop them and, and take them out of out of circulation altogether. Yep, you're a softly spoken, humble man, but you carry a big stick. What's your message to the crooks out there about Fobita? And when they have those conversations, when they make those transactions, the possibility that indeed you're already onto them. Well, you won't see us very much. We're, we're not a media. This is really, uh, I think, our second interaction with media in, in, the, in the time it's been running. Our intent is you won't see us. You won't know we're there. Um, eventually, you will realise that we have been there. Um, and, and if we can bring that, that nightmare to their sleep, 
then we've done our job. You're going to turn the crooks of Australia into insomniacs. I love it. These empires rise and fall very quickly. The freshness of data and intel is so key to, in order to make, make effective law enforcement decisions. We have to be very agile um, when we get intelligence. As I said about uh, timeliness and, and, and value, they, it's valuable for a, a limited time. What is valuable right now about a certain thing happening or a certain trend or a certain person selling a commodity may be completely obsolete a week later. So it, the skill is is interpreting the intelligence, knowing the value and, and actually going out and, and putting it in place uh, in a timely manner to, to take full advantage of it. You have seen a lot of violence in New South Wales, particularly Sydney. You've got Operation Erebus, which is, which is I think you were a part of as well. So we're seeing the impact on the community of these connections with international cartels and other other criminal networks. We're seeing that in disorder and violence on our streets. Massive public interest in stemming that. Oh, absolutely. Look, it's an underworld that, that most people in, in New South Wales don't, and thankfully are, are never exposed to. And, and we would like to hope that we can make sure that never happens to them. We don't want innocent people, for example, working at a, at a gym to be part of this, uh, this violence, this incredible violence. So that is our focus every day is to make sure that we stop the violence. Uh, you mentioned Erebus and, and the the focus on, on the Erebus, there was the homicide investigations focus and, and, and the side that I led was the uh, response to the gangs and, and the, the, simple, the simple instruction was stop the killing, stop the violence. We have to stop them doing those heinous acts in public. As a way of doing that, we, we go after their guns, their money, and most importantly, their property and, and everything around them, uh, take away their ability to yeah. do these things. Because... I think the public should be aware the connection between the money and the confidence, the dash, and ultimately the violence on the streets. They've got no money. They're nothing. Yeah, it's very hard to command respect if you pull up in a, a 1985 Holden Commodore um, wearing a T-shirt and thongs. But if you pull up in a Ferrari or a Lamborghini and you get out wearing your latest designer clothing and with gold bling hanging off you, in that world, you're, you're quite respected. Other worlds, we see it very, very differently. But in their world, that's a, a sign of respect and and that they've made it in, in, in their world. And over your time doing this job, you've seen a, a sea change, whereas the crooks back 20 years ago was all about being low-key. It was about driving the old Falcon. Uh, it was about going overseas to enjoy your money. It was about having no, no friends, <laughs> talking to nobody, because you realise as soon as you did that, you were drawing the coppers. And particularly things like killings would mean that your your revenue stream would quickly dry up. The, the model has changed. It's changes with technology. It, it, we went... We discussed earlier about technology and how it's changed everything. And I guess um, these these people want to be seen to be the biggest and the baddest and they want to promote their activities on, online and, and, and show off what they've got. This is a, a growth area in New South Wales police, this, this sort of policing. What kind of people are you attracting from across the organisation to work with you? Well, we're targeting the best. Um, I've recruited just recently and, and the police that I've recruited I consider to be up and coming stars in investigation and that's what we want. We want people who who are tenacious, we want people who go after opportunities, the ones who can recognise that gem of intelligence when they've read it and want to be there and, and want to put it into place. Those are the, the young detectives that, that, we, that I see personally as will be the future of criminal investigation in New South Wales. So I guess I'm, I'm trying to provide opportunities to, to police that were provided to me back in the year 2000 when I, when I came to State Crime Command. Who was your mentor? Uh, I had a couple of very, very good mentors. Um, 
and Andy Day, uh, detective inspector who, who passed away tragically uh, in the early 2000s. Uh, Paul Phillips, another detective inspector who I looked up to when I, I tried to model my career on, uh, and a couple of very good leaders. Um, Jeff Owens, uh, again, an incredible man who, uh, who we, we tragically lost last year. Uh, Deb Wallace, who I worked with four, uh, four times in different different locations throughout my career, has been has been an incredible inspiration and, and very supportive of my career as well. So. She speaks very highly of you, by the way. Oh, it's oh, lovely, well. lovely, lovely to hear. <laughs> yeah. And tell me, what what are the gems that you've learned from your experience dealing with these successful police? What are the gems that you're bringing to your team? Because they've got a big task, make no mistake. And and failure is unambiguous because we'll see it on the streets. What are the, what are the, what are the qualities that, that you're bringing to them? The qualities I, I, was, I, I took from those police is, is to make a decision. A lot of times we can be paralysed without a decision we've discussed about the agility of investigations and 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 the need to to act on things quickly if we don't make that decision and back it up with action then we lose the opportunity so one of the main things i like to put in 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 my day-to-day career is is if if i'm asked to make a decision it's to make it it mightn't always be the best one it mightn't be the most popular for the troops but you need to make it because intel is never perfect it never gives you the the one, two, three steps to success. You have to you have to make a leap of faith at some stage. Correct. You you need to follow it. You need to chase it. You need to know which one is the is the gem to go after. That's Detective Superintendent Stuart Cadden, the commander of Operation Fobita. And now this is where you come in out there. They need your help. These crooks live in our community. You see them in your communities. You have information that might assist this operation. Don't keep it to yourself. Contact Crime Stoppers on 1-800-333-000. In a moment, Kelly Langley at the Police Academy. Police Bank is offering up to $4,000 cash back with any new refinance. Simply refinance your existing owner-occupied or investment home loan of $300,000 or more from another financial institution to qualify. This offer is available to applicants who apply and are approved up until the 3rd of May, 2023. Eligibility criteria applies. Please see the terms and conditions in the show notes for more information. Welcome back to the New South Wales Police Academy at Goulburn. This segment is sponsored by Charles Sturt University, providing education for police and law enforcement. In recent episodes, we've met the drill and PT sergeants and discussed the challenges and expectations of campus life. Now, let's take a look beyond the parade ground and the gym. The Academy is a training facility rolled into a university. After 16 weeks here, students will be able to make informed, long-term choices about their future. My name's Superintendent Kelly Langley. I'm presently the Acting Principal of the New South Wales Police Academy, and my substantive role is the Commander of Learning Development and Delivery Command. So you're managing this current intake? Yes. How are they going? They're going well. So it's really starting to ramp up the work um, and those skills that they need to learn to be an effective police officer out on the road. So they're all very excited though. That's great. It's fantastic. Do you remember your time here at the Academy? I do. How was that? It was rewarding. I enjoyed it. I've uh, made some lifelong friends in that time. So we're talking 28 years ago. So still keeping in contact with a lot of people from my academy class. Um, obviously, we've lost some along the way as well, but it was a really good time. 
that time of, you know, bonding over a shared experience, over a shared goal, and just helping one another. I think that whole sense of, you know, the policing family and looking after one another, I think you really start to develop that down here at the academy. Because these are not fellow students, they're future colleagues. They are future colleagues. How tough was it back then? Is it, is it, is it, is it different now? I suppose any, every person would say that, you know, when they, uh, you know, entered the workforce it was hard or, you know, when they built their first home, you know, it was harder back when they did it. Young people today would say that it's harder for them. I think it's the mindset as opposed to what I learnt when I was down the academy is vastly different to what our current students are learning. They do have a lot more pressures on them. I, I do believe that. But I also think we actually give them a lot more support too. We've got you know, that opportunity to really wrap them you know, in support services, you know, their supervisors, the people, their colleagues and their peers out, in, out on the street. We do look after one another. So I think you could sort of say, yes, it was harder back then for perhaps some reasons and today it's probably harder for some other reasons. Certainly the area you're involved with, it's all about vocation mm-hmm. and continuing to study and continuing to, to, to raise skills. And when you look at your cohort, you did 28 years, you're a poster girl for people staying in for the journey, but that's, that's a real challenge. Mm-hmm. What's your role today in terms of that mid-career challenge mm-hmm. and keeping people in for the long term? Really, with my uh, command of learning, development and delivery, we are looking to develop training courses for our police, both for today and into the future. So, you know, what are their needs now, but what are their needs into the future as well? What does a young constable need once they've finished their academy and their probation period? What do they need to continue to develop as a really good member of the New South Wales Police Force. If they want to be a detective, they'll come through my command in the first instance. And my detectives training unit pride themselves in training up future detectives to be the best. You'll probably hear it said many a time, we believe we're the best in the country. Um, and I do believe that that is true. We have you know, great training courses, we have great police officers, we train them well. The opportunities to progress outside of general duties if someone wants to do that are vast and it's, it isn't just detectives training, it isn't just perhaps going and working in the dog squad or in the mounted unit or traffic and highway patrol. We have a myriad of opportunities across the organisation that people can look to get into. And many ways to address those. I mean, in the old days it was only the academy and people went to university, oh, they propel their heads and they don't know what they're doing, we're real police. But now, with this relationship with Charles Sturt University, it's integral, that, mm. that, that, that associate, or the, the Bachelor of Policing and so forth. Well, what role does, does Charles Sturt play in, in the, the goals and, and vision of the academy? I think it's that joint responsibility between Charles Sturt and our police trainers to give the students down here the tools that they need, both academic and practical, and the marriage of those two to attest well-rounded individuals that will be successful police officers. And who see a path to their chosen goal that's been revealed to them through learning and development. Yes. What was your ambition when you joined? I actually wanted to join the dog squad. Did you get that? I didn't. 
But I'm hopeful maybe one day I might become the commander of the dog squad, so maybe I'll get it in another way. Put a little pitch in there, that's good. (laughs) And and why was that? You you love dogs? I love dogs. I love dogs. But I think, too, when when I joined, we didn't really have many females in the dog squad. Now it's... It's not uncommon to see female dog handlers. I think not long after I attested, we had our first female general purpose dog handler attached to the dog squad. So that was quite significant and that's probably something that I've really seen change since I first joined is the opportunity for uh, women and you know people from diverse backgrounds to not just join something join an organization that they're passionate about and to serve their community but to get into a role that perhaps someone of my vintage may not have been able to get into for different various reasons. But yeah, I do think the opportunities today are far greater than what they probably were you know, 20, 30, 40 years ago. So I guess women coming in now to the academy can expect... I mean, this is still a tough job. This mm. is not, this is, you're not going to get people making excuses for you and not meeting standards. But women can, can, can be confident they'll be given a fair go. Definitely, definitely. Even when I did join, I never felt like I couldn't do what everyone else could do, what my male counterparts could do. And the males that I went through the academy with, and I know it's no different now, were very supportive. You know, always encouraging, caring and wanting to see you succeed. So I think that hasn't changed. It's just, I think, some of those opportunities have become broader for us as women to actually get into areas that we probably maybe didn't think to even get into many years ago. This segment was proudly sponsored by Charles Sturt University, providing education for police and law enforcement. Next week on Inside the New South Wales Police Force, we go on the high seas with the Marine Area Command and we go back to Goulburn as the students prepare for their final weeks of tuition. This podcast is sponsored by Police Bank. To find out more about any of our products discussed on today's episode, speak to us on 131 728 or visit policebank.com.au because banking with Police Bank means banking where you belong. Inside the New South Wales Police Force podcast, is produced by Piccolo Podcasts and Media Productions. Host Adam Shan. Producers Andrew Mensel and Courtney Besgrove. For New South Wales Police, Amy Hosking and Christian Schweitzer. Original music by Anthony Bray and the New South Wales Police Force Band. <laughs>